Well, I have the honor of uh, having Susanna Kaiser on the program today, and she's one of my favorite people, and I really mean that. So welcome to uh, the Ad.Podcast, Podcast, Susanna, and thank you so much for having this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. So we met, um, I don't know, maybe five years ago or something at, at uh, QCon. I think that I was invited to speak in your track, which you had. Was it architectures or what, what? Do you remember what the track is? Yeah, it was the uh, it was QCon San Francisco in 2018, I guess. I'm not really sure yeah. about this. And it, I was track hosting the microservices track. And uh, I was very delighted and very happy that you um, gave a talk there about domain-driven design on my uh, on the microservices track that I hosted at that time. And then I don't remember, I get an email or something like later in the evening, and it's you, I, we hadn't met in person. And uh, you said, would you like to just talk a little bit? And, I, and you had just arrived in San Francisco from a long flight, at least one flight in Germany, from Germany. And I thought, wow, she must be so jet lagged. And still, you know, I wasn't going to refuse the opportunity to, to meet you. And then we had such a great conversation, and it wasn't even that technical. Right. It was more That's about true. dealing with uh, sort of family challenges and aging parents. And that to me was so refreshing because it shows your empathy and, and your kindness and uh, as a person. And, and that's just always impressed me so much. And this is why I want people to know you so much, because you're not just a techie, you know. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's true. It was we were just diving right into non-technical, very important topics and it was really like very very personal from the very beginning i remember it was really really nice meeting you that time yes i was a little bit tired to be honest but it was like no i won't miss it i don't want to miss it at all so i would like to to get to know you earlier and before the the conference hectic starts and um yeah so that was really great i really have very nice memories about that uh, our first meeting in the lobby of the hotel yeah, at Cuba, yeah. San Francisco. So since then, we've uh, stayed in touch. And oh, in fact, I, I think I gave a talk or two at the microservice or micro exchange in Berlin. I think you organized that or helped mm -hmm. organize it. And so we've stayed in touch. And then, um, of course, Addison Wesley signs me, Pearson Addison Wesley signs me for the signature series. And who is like, the first on my list to contact about authoring a book. Well, Susanna mm. was right up there. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first of all, your sort of specialty now, what you have become well known for, is your combination of three tools slash practices, if you will, or techniques, approaches to software development. And those are Wardley Maps, or Wardley mapping, domain-driven design, and team topologies. So can you give us a little background before uh, we, we sort of dive into those topics a little more, like what kind of drove you or convinced you that you needed to gather these kinds of tools and use them? So yeah, it was kind of a journey. So it did not really um, um, came to me from the very first instance, because it was more like when I was starting, I guess, 18 years ago, 
with when I when I graduated when I was, uh, finished my computer science studies, I was really into the nitty de uh, gritty details of um, software development and how to um, yeah how to to build software at the time and it was really really down to the detail itself but the more experiences i gained uh, along the journey and um the more problems i i um was encountering that uh, that um yeah customers were facing the more and more i had the, the perspectives became broader and broader in terms of like more in, in thinking of the assistant thinking approach or socio-technical systems um because i was thinking like like also like um, the system thinking pioneers, they they say that um, uh, that system is more than the sum of its parts. It's the product of their interaction. And if you are usually um, uh, um, initiatives that are focusing on improving um, separate parts of the system taken separately, um, they are not improving the performance of the whole. And uh, since uh, um, yeah the it's more important to have the systemic nature in, in mind in order to improve a system. So, and it was like, like, ste yeah, stepping from the very detailed perspective at the very beginning and becoming more and more broader perspective over the time. And then it was for me uh, when, um, when I was, uh, yeah, it was more like when I entered the field of serverless technologies, I was, um, um, I got in touch first the first time I was listening to a keynote from Simon Wardley and um, he was talking about Wardley mapping um, and Wardley mapping that is a strategic framework invented by Simon Wardley, the researcher from the UK, and it is about to design and evolve effective business strategies based on situational awareness and movement following a strategy cycle. And the strategy cycle is the representation of change and how we need to react to it. And when I was first listening to his keynote back then, I guess it was also in 2018, um, it was, I was sitting in the first row because I was also helping the organizers with this conference at that time and Hamburg. And um, I was sitting there like, what? It's, it's so it's so interesting what, what Simon Wardley is talking about, but how do I apply it to my specific use case? So how, how can I make it tangible to my situation? So that was the first uh, encounter with, with Wardley mapping. And then I was also, when, when talking about serverless uh, um, architecture where you have really fine-grained um, functions, you can easily lose um, the broader perspective or the um, yeah lose uh, the side the overview of it. And then I was thinking, why not applying it with domain-driven design, having a bounded context around a group of serverless functions where they are reflecting related behavior that shall stay consistent. So and then and I was thinking, oh how? And then I was like going through Simon Water's strategy cycle, where we have to apply um, doctrinal principles in order to prepare an organization for um, being amendable, uh, to, to be adaptive for change. And I was thinking domain-driven design supports uh, part of these uh, doctrinal principles. And uh, then team topologies came along because it was more like business strategy and domain-driven design. So business strategy and, and, and software design, software architecture. And then I read the book about uh, team topologies that was published end of 2019 by Matthew Skelton, Manuel Paish. And I was thinking this perspective is missing in my, in my, my approach uh, because 
uh, systems are not only consisting of, of technical or strategic parts, it's also uh, consisting of teams. And it was kind of like a beautiful um, match of all these three perspectives in order to build adaptive system that are um, um, in order to build that system optimized for a fast flow of change. So that it comes, it was not like right there from the very second, from the very first second, instead it was evolving over the time. Yeah, it's a great uh, story about an account, you know, of, of really using tools because of a need, right? Instead of just saying, wow, this looks interesting, I should, you know, look into it just for the sake of the of the head knowledge, I guess, the, the sort of, you know, just the pleasure of learning about it. Well, it is a pleasure to learn about things, but it's especially so when, when you can actually use them. So can you explain for the listeners just a little bit about Wardley mapping or how to use Wardley maps? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, it's, um, was Wardley mapping suggests a strategy cycle and uh, this strategy cycle is um, composed of um, purpose, landscape, climatic, uh, climate, and uh, doctrine, and then leadership. And it's it's um, tries to um, to put your organization uh, to make you aware of your situational awareness awareness in terms of like where do you position your organization towards or in, in, in respect to your competitors? What is your landscape? Um, and this is this um, that you are you're operating in as an organization and a Wardley map itself. It's so there's a difference between or there's a distinguishing um, part between Wardley mapping because it describes the entire strategy cycle. And Wartley Map itself, it's a part of the strategy cycle that visualizes the landscape an organization is operating in. And um, it visualizes the evolution of a value chain. So Wartley Map is, 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 um, is composed of um, a y-axis and an x-axis. On the y-axis, you are plotting the value chain. So behind every user need, there is a value chain. It starts with identifying your users and what are the user needs. Um, what and what components are necessary to to um, fulfill these user needs either directly or facilitating other components in this value chain and you go from top to bottom from visible to um, um, invisible and at the top you have those components where your users are interacting directly with your system and um, and uh, so and further down it gets less and less invisible less and less visible to your, your users and it's um, the value to the user and the visibility, they are closely correlated. So, and then you, you use it after you've identified this value chain. So what is necessary to fulfill the user needs of our users? You are using this um, value chain that you have derived and plot these along the x-axis, which is um, describing the evolution stages. And the evolution stages go from left to right, from left um, um, genesis with brand new things that have never existed before, then custom build, uh, then product and rental, uh, such as off-the-shelf products and open source software, and then on the right, um, commodity and utilities. And um, so and you are trying to figure out which component of your value chain is going to in, in, in which evolution stage. And 
so the um, um, the evolution of a component is, is determined by its uh, uh, the, the movement of a component along the x-axis is determined by its stage of evolution. So, for example, if you look at power supply, uh, I don't know when we, what it was uh, invented first. Um, uh, so it was yeah, it was in Genesis, and it was a huge monstrous uh, uh, factory, and now it, it's it's commodity and utility. You just it's just a power outlet in every room that you have, right? So and everything every component. Um, evolves, um, moves from left to right. Um, uh, everything evolves, so everything is very, very dynamic and, and not static at all. And everything evolves through the forces of supply and demand competition. So, and, and sometimes I use this, um, for example, when I use when I um, when I work with clients. Sometimes I try to figure out because every evolution state that you that you have or components in every evolution stage is that you. Um, have to have apply some um, uh, um, yeah some some principles um, in terms of for example um, use appropriate message per evolution stage so for example components in in Genesis and custom build um, there you should um, focus on um, building them in house um, using preferably agile methods then um, uh, um, components and product and rental mostly go then. Um, yeah, with with uh, yeah, using off-the-shelf products or also uh, open-source software and um, using preferably lean methods, and then components and commodity uh, and utility. That's where you can outsource to utility suppliers or uh, and or like using Six Sigma. And so it's so it's also like makes you okay, kind of like visualization of your value chain and where to yeah, kind of like make and buy decisions. And sometimes I, I see that um, customers or clients are building components in-house that's supposed to be in product and rental or commodity and utility. And it's not, and also that also there comes also domain-driven design um, uh, into the field because domain-driven designs helps us to identify or to discover our core domain, right? So what is the part of our system? What bounded context, uh, what subdomains are um, related to the, uh, the the part that we have to strategically invest in most because they provide competitive advantage or core domain, and these usually you can map these core domains uh, uh, then to uh, Genesis and custom build because that's the one that you have to to build in house. That's that these are the part of the system that we have to strategically invest in most. And when I see components that's supposed to be in product and rental or commodity and utility, and you build them in house, I usually ask them why why are you building them in-house uh where is the competitive advantage that you would like to achieve and if they say oh no we don't have one that then i i suggest or uh, to rethink it um because it it does definitely um yeah yes move your focus to other parts of the system that does not provide competitive advantage and you would like to shift your focus back on those components that provide competitive advantage and where you have to strategically invest in most. So I don't know, have I answered? So and then have I answered your question, by the way? I guess I was talking and talking and talking. <laughs> yes, very very well, in fact. And and uh, we were going to, I was going to ask you about how orderly maps uh, specifically fits in with domain-driven design. And, and as you said, uh, naturally does. And then the context mapping, right, is is good for understanding, okay, 
we still need this, even though it may not be strategic. It's it's either supporting or or generic, but we can't uh, you know build a system without these things. So how do we interact with those and and integrate and and things like yeah. that? So yeah. And I also like to um, having the Wadley map in front, like um, um, placing the bounded context in the evolution stages, and then have the context map um, um, patterns applied to them, and to see. Um, okay, so because the, co the bounded context that shift to the left side of the Wardley map, uh, they tend to change often, they tend to be quite complex. And, um, and if we are conforming, or if we are conforming like on a, on a bounded context that is more on product and rental uh, on, the, on the writer part of the, of the, um, of the Wardley map, and they are conforming to the left part, it's in, it visualizes, you, uh, it's, um, great um, uh, um, tool to visualize that you are conforming to a constantly changing quadrumane. And uh, so you don't, you should not conform to the left part of your waterline uh, because that is, you have to constantly adjust it. And uh, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to, to, to apply both, like both perspective, having the waterline map, placing your bounded context on the waterline map, and then also placing the uh, context maps uh, on top of it, like to see, okay, it might be an unhealthy relationship in terms of that it intrudes, introduces a lot of communication coordination efforts uh, to make this work, to, to make a stable, stable component, uh, supposedly stable component, a supposedly stable um, supporting or generic subdomain conforming to a core domain. It, it's, uh, yeah, it visualizes very, very well on the Wadley map. Very good uh, explanation and and uh, advice or you know wisdom that you shared about not conforming to the core domain and um, well actually getting teams not to conform to everything is sometimes very difficult because they don't recognize the the potential disadvantages of doing that um, a lot well more than potential the. Any, in any way, um, now for team topologies, not that team topologies are necessarily last as least important, but it seems like you would definitely need to understand these levels of, you know, genesis and, and build versus uh, rental versus utility, uh, these areas before you actually assign um, teams or Compose teams for this. How, what do you think about that? Yeah, of course. So, so um, with team topologies, um, the the third perspective um, uh, that I like to bring in building adaptive systems is is, is very suits very well together, fits very well together with um, Wadley mapping or with Wadley map and also with um, domain driven design. Because first of all, it's um, so there are some steps that um, how to apply or some suggestions of how you can first introduce um, um, team topologies and one so that you can can first, for example, identify a suitable um, um, stream of work. This could be the user needs. Um, that could be activity-oriented or uh, role-oriented, task-oriented stream of work. And a Wadley map itself with this user need are more like activity-oriented um, um, stream of work that we can first uh, see, okay, this, this could be an activity that could be assigned to a stream aligned team. And 
the bounded context that fulfill uh, these user needs, that could be then the um, team boundary, can form the team boundary as an ownership boundary for streamlined teams. And streamlined teams, they are, um, yeah, they are responsible, have end-to-end -end responsibility for, um, uh, um, yeah, for, for stream of work and in terms of like, um, they are, um, close to the customer, they're incorporating feedback, they are um, um, delivering changes, delivering features to, to the customers. And so there could be, uh, so domain driven, uh, the bounded context itself, um, fulfilling user need, they could be ideal uh, team boundaries for, uh, for uh, stream aligned teams from team topologies. And, but if you have bounded context that sits like related to to the core domain, they used to be they used to be uh, uh, supposed to be quite complex, change a lot, and it, you also have to mind the team's cognitive load. So, the more bounded contexts on the Wardley map that are residing on the left part of your Wardley map, uh, it gives you an indicator. Okay, so that you mostly that you have to be aware of that it's that one team can handle less bounded contexts sitting on the left part of a Wadley map than um, bounded contexts that sit on the right part of a Wadley map because they are the more they are um, residing on the right part, the less the more stable they are, the more mature they are, the less um, uh, the fewer they change and the fewer complexities comes with them. And so this is then an indicator for for streamlined teams taking care of bounded context sitting on the right, that we, that they can handle more bounded context in the number and size and complexities because it's it's easier to handle them than on the left part of a Wardley map. And then, so this is, uh, and then you can also identify um, the services and that these streamlined teams need in order to deliver their changes that support them in their delivery. And that's where platform teams come in. And platform teams are can also be expressed on a Wattler map because the web value chain itself uh, could be going from bounded context, and then you can have components um, like data storage components, search engine, message broker, and compute platform, uh, virtual machines, uh, storage, networking, and so on. And then where it goes like uh, less, where it becomes less visible to the user now on the lower part, on the lower. And uh, and more right part of the Wattley map, where then the platform team comes in, being responsible for those these components of the Wattley map, and supporting the stream alliance teams with providing um, yeah platform as a service, for example, um, yeah where the stream alliance teams can easily consume these services, for example, provisioning as platform, or also providing. Um, monitoring as a service or um, a pipeline as a service, depending on uh, what perspective they have. When you walk into a new client, and by the way, you should engage with Susanna because she obviously, as you can see, <laughs> is a great advisor and uh, strategist with these tools. But um, when you walk into a new client, you don't just like take out these three tools and say, okay, let's start, you know, where do you start? Are, are there other tools involved? Yes, of course. So that's, um, 
and it's not mutually exclusive. So if you use this tool, then you can't use that tool. They are all complementing each other. So I weave them in. So it's not like that I have to do everything with water mapping first, and then we go into domain-driven design, and then we go into in team topologies. Instead, it's it's um, yeah, gradually weaving in while I'm talking to uh, the clients. And I like to um, to visualize it together with the client. For example, right now, on a Miro board, for example. So, and I usually start, I have a starting point. It, it might vary um, from customer to customer, but um, usually I start. So what are your, from the client perspective, so what are your users that you, are your customers that you're providing a solution to and what kind of user needs do they have? And what are the uh, uh, components that fulfill this user needs? So I'm starting with the value chain of Wartley Map without explicitly expressing as a water map, but it's my starting point. And then it's just evolving. It's just like um, iterate, uh, so iteration. And uh, so, and then, um, because in order to understand this, uh, the problem domain, I start from the user perspective first, and then that's where I think that this water mapping or the water map itself is really helpful. And then, for example, and to understand the the, their business domain better, I come in with, um, yeah, for example, exploring their business domain using event storming or domain storytelling or um, um, user story mapping. It depends. It could be, uh, um, yeah, used exchangeably. So it, sometimes it's, it's, it's um, but I, I like it to have it visualized so that everyone has, are on the same page. And everyone has the same understanding and um, everyone gains the same domain knowledge along the journey. And then I am trying to understand uh, their domain better and sometimes also bringing um, the tech and the business together with close collaboration between domain experts and uh, the development teams. Because what I have experienced a lot is that they barely talk to each other. And so that's I will try to, I'm trying to fill or to, to bridge the gap between business and tech and then um, later on like okay so um, and to discover the the core domain so where do you differentiate from your customers what is your competitive edge and then having the strategic focus and um, and then um, uh, also to to bring this like okay place it on water map so it's more genesis of custom build and um, then along that way so and how is are your teams are um, uh, scoped right now and if it's a functional silo team so what is your like try to 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 derive with them the current problems that they have for example it takes too long our software delivery performance is not very great and trying to to work on that what kind of problems they have so I, I split it usually in what is the, their business domain uh, um, so what are their um what kind of problems they would like to solve for their customers, and then um, what kind of struggles do they have to achieve this uh, to um, to yeah to increase their software delivery performance, and then we tr try to figure out so um, but how does a change flow through your system? What is necessary? Who do you have to coordinate with? What kind of changes? So like, try to apply then context map patterns as well, like in terms of uh, model propagation. So if you change the domain model here, are we 
automatically have to change it in another bounded context. So, mm -hmm, okay, and we have to coordinate with this team. And so it's not only uh, model propagation from a technical perspective, but also from what bottlenecks are coming in and that what, uh, what kind of change coupling level do you have between your bounded context? And this is very well visualized with the context maps pattern that we can apply to that one as well. And then going from there, what kind of teams are are responsible for which bounded context, uh, a status quo, and what how to improve it, and um, having a vision or a, yeah, a goal in mind and to discuss it with customer too in order to reduce the bottlenecks, to reduce or to optimize um, their team's cognitive load, and and also to yeah to that they can that it flows through the system can that it, that a change itself can be absorbed gracefully through the entire organization from the team stream team structure and also from the software architecture from the software design and also from from the business perspective that's uh, some really good uh, suggestions there and i and i have to say just to call this out and highlight it i think it's very wise not to name tools and technologies too far in advance or maybe not even at all until They're already using them yeah. and it's simple. But as soon as you say something like value chain, Wardley map, you know, it's like deer in the headlights a lot of times, right? It's just, they, you know, people freeze. Oh, I don't know what that means now. Oh, I, this is going to be really difficult. But instead, you just simply introduce the way you do this is by asking questions and so forth, and you don't give it a name. And then maybe hours later you say, oh, by the way, that was value chain. And, uh, and oh, you saw those, that, that little sort of diagram mapping map thing that I, that I, that we drew here, that's a wordly map. And it shows, you know, where your areas of strategy and, you know, where, what kinds of customers you have and who you're trying to please and see how it all fits together. And they're like, yeah, I get it. Right. Yeah. So is that, you, you find that helpful? Yeah, it's, I find that because sometimes when you just mention, let's use this method, it's so abstract to them and um, they can't really tell or they don't know what kind of benefit it comes out to them, but just demonstrating what benefit comes. So it's kind of like natural flow without introducing the, the uh, yeah, the, the method names, for example. And, um, and then also we can, yeah, Yeah, then slightly go over to event storming. Okay, so what happens in your domain? So when we are trying to let's let's focus on these user needs. Uh, what is the when we try to fulfill it? So um, what what's going to happen? So where does it start? Where and what what kind of events come in? And 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 then introducing event storming um, um, gradually. And um, I guess it's sometimes too overwhelming. Um, I guess it's an iterative approach um, helped me in my context a lot um, to, yeah, in order to, so I have to define like a goal. So what we'd like to achieve at the end, yes. But how we go there, it's it's um, kind of like flow that I'm following. Yeah. And this is what, um, you know, I think fits very well with the sort of learning and progression stages um, through the term or or the three words shuhari, which is generally um, associated with martial arts, but I am not in the martial arts at all. 
Uh, but it, it, it's something that to me makes sense because you've got this shoe level, which is a pure learner. They, you know, um, a newbie, if you will. And how do we, how do we teach them? Well, we teach them by rote or whatever you want to call it. They have to learn the rules about how this works. The, the ha, the ha level is when you know this well enough to teach others what the rules are. And, um, you can apply them independently on your own, but the real level that everybody should be striving for is the re level where we just know what we need to do, or we, we need to find out what we need to do. And we do what we need to do at any given time. And we're not following a cookbook or, or steps. And to me, this is you proving that you are at that level where you just know what to do. And so, you know, that's about as good as it gets as a software developer in my, in my estimation. Yeah, that's true. So it's, um, and also the, the fact so that you can combine them and uh, they are not mutually exclusive, but I always have an anchor and this is the, the user and the user needs. So that's where I come back to Wadley map or to a Wadley map itself. I, that because sometimes is, I encountered it as well when um, I started my career that I was really down into the technical details. But and and um, but at, at that time, I barely questioned myself: Why am I doing this? <laughs> so is it fulfilling any user need or something like that? Or um, and I guess to have this this anchor, I like focusing, um, knowing your users and focusing your user needs. On, the, on their user needs is, is really helpful in this process that you still have this anchor. Wherever you go, you have this anchor. And uh, so this was quite helpful. And um, where you go then, what direction you are following, it's it's then go with the flow with the customers, what kind of problems they would like to fa say, uh, face first and where is the, 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 um, the their major pain points and try to address this. And it, it, so it, it varies from, from client from project to project. Yeah, and I think everybody kind of has to go through that stage, no matter what um, uh, secular profession that, that they're involved in. But technology, you know, the programmers have to go out and really learn this stuff and, and try to build good software. And then hopefully they learn later that they can uh, put more emphasis in other areas. But the, the problem is that a lot of software developers, whether, you know, architect or engineer, they, they don't very often get to that point. They kind of get stuck in this mode of probably somewhere between <clears throat> shu and ha, and they, they just, um, you know, don't think about that, that kind of like broader perspective. And so you are, I think, a gifted and unusual, you know, software developer from the standpoint of you've advanced beyond this. And, and, uh, so I hope it's my, it's always been my hope since I've written books and, and trained and consulted and so forth that I can help people reach that point. And, um, I'm glad that you're contributing to that area of the industry as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. I hope I 
can contribute because it's just from my perspective and like this is these are my views and uh so someone else is, is experiencing some something totally different but i so what i have experienced over the time is that my perspective has broadened over the of the time getting yeah more from socio-technical systems and not only technical systems but socio-technical systems and then also system thinking approach involved in it uh, having more like okay what kind of side effect does it have and it's it's uh um yeah it, it's it's kind of like journey that comes with from my perspective like um if you are like when i for example when i first started with very very little experience i was really happy to have a like a very tiny angle a very tiny um, spectrum to cover and uh, so i like it really in the like when you uh, like a very stable domain um, because they are um, to, to gain some experiences and the more experiences you gain you gain the more experimental you, you become right and then you are trying to explore more things and your perspective is is going to yeah to to widen or to to to, to become broader over the time so and for me it was a kind of natural um, evolution I think I didn't tell you this yet, but I already um, interviewed Matthew and, and Manuel. And uh, oh, so they're, they're actually going to be, by the way, to listeners, this is being recorded about the end of October 2021. But we did talk about you in there. Oh, really? And yes. <laughs> and we, and we, we all three agreed that we we're big fans of yours. So and, and one of the topics. Likewise. That came, yeah, and, and one of the topics that came up is that uh, you'll be teaching um, through their, what is it, uh, Team Topologies Academy or something like that. You, you'll have some video um, mm -hmm. training on that. Uh, yes. So it's, it's uh, so we are, we, uh, so um, Matthew and Manuel, they are really supportive. And we also had some um, video calls in between. And, um, and so we are um, definitely, we are, having some collaboration and they um, uh, welcomed me to their net, net team topologies network um, as well. And um, so it's really, I try to, it's, it's really mutual support as was you, uh, Vaughn, like uh, I really appreciate it a lot as uh, so having such a supportive uh, um, yeah, people in, in this industry. And so, yeah, we are trying to figure out some, some corporations and, trying to bring team topologies, domain-driven design, and water mapping um, to, to, to distribute it to others as well, hopefully. Yeah, it's excellent. And by the way, thinking of the word excellent, I've um, engaging more recent with uh, clients, the kind of um, uh, things that I see now are there's a lot of center of excellence um, organizations within a company. Um, there are these sort of, I would say, maybe not exactly team topologies, but sort of like uh, a trend to make um, kind of mini companies or mini startups within um, well-established, you know, um, billions of dollars per year uh, companies and where accountability is given, you know, to individual smaller organizations to produce uh, certain things. And, and I think that's a really good um, uh, move to use. 
But I think that this kind of um, approach that you're using should be um, included in those kinds of of practices and organizational structures um, within the organization. Do you do you see that as a, a highly potential or a place for um, high potential for innovation and using these tools and in those ways? Yeah, of course, um, because um, the I guess it gives you a clear picture, um, first of all, like where to uh, strategi strategically invest in most, where to innovate on, like um, knowing where you are um, coming in with a situational awareness with Wadley mapping. So where are you situated um, in, the, um, in your landscape, uh, where you're operating in and competing in? And what are um, bringing in domain-driven design with also like discovering the core domain? What are uh, the uh, subdomains that are providing competitive uh, advantage and where to strategically invest in most and also innovate on and explore most? And, um, and that where team topology comes in um, uh, also with streamlined teams and uh, that they can focus on delivering value to, to the customers, but they are relying on uh, services that platform teams um, are providing or enabling team, helping them miss, um, acquiring missing capabilities and so on. So this is a kind of like, it's a kind of ecosystem that really works very well together to, um, to absorb changes um, gracefully and also to deliver changes quickly and having software delivery performance um, um, yeah, uh, in mind, uh, already built in, I would say, and um, to um, with, with team topologies, with streamlined team, with cross-functional autonomous teams in place um, where they can experiment and also um, th this also was with small long-lived teams where you have um, a high trust relationship within the team where you can experiment, where you can fail, uh, where you can explore new things. And I guess it's, it's, um, it's great, from my perspective, it's a great ecosystem that foster a lot of aspects that are necessary to be innovative and going from yeah, having high trust in organization that team topology suggests to have small teams where you have these trust boundaries um, that are um, uh, of, of five to nine people, for example, where you have a really high trust relationship within your teams and also um, to have like this end-to-end -end ownership and that you're owning, for example, a bounded context and um, it's not a top-down hierarchy um, command line. Instead, it's, it's kind of like, uh, um, yeah, gracefully absorbing, evolving um, in the organization and um, yeah, having, having um, responsibilities, um, ownerships of the end-to-end -end flow. And this is something that really uh, works well in order to, to be to, yeah, to, to foster innovation, I would say, and it's uh, and working against like this hierarchy organized waterfall approaches and something like that. Yeah, and you know when these large organizations are are creating these sort of mini startups, what they call them, something like that, like a um, a mini company uh, kind of 
approach and they have a mini CEO and a mini, you know, th this kind of organization, those are relatively small compared to the whole company, maybe 100 to 200 people, something like that. But that's not a small team, right? That's, and, and so when you're talking about center of excellence, which is trying to provide excellent approaches and tools and so forth to those um, kind of mini companies within the large organization, um, kind of driving this approach from that level or, you know, introducing it, don't want to sound like it's, you know, um, dogmatic or something, but, but in a, in a positive way, drive these tools into these mini companies, but then help, you know, we have to help those mini companies to set up the topologies within so that they can properly innovate and they don't lose track of what is actually core here and what is, you know, uh, supporting or generic, you know, commodity uh, versus rental versus, you know, um, innovation uh, genesis. So um, I think that these efforts really deserve this kind of attention within those companies. It, and I think it sounds like you're agreeing, but I just wanted to be clear that it's not just introducing the ideas and then see if it happens. It's really with a you know, um, a focused effort on introducing these things and making sure that they're used effectively. Yeah. And that's also, um, so for example, team topologies, um, um, as you and Manuel there, they, um, what they say that it's, for example, specifically with, with platform teams that you are not, um, uh, forced to use this platform, for example, that you still that they are mandating uh, using that platform, and um, it's that you still have this flexibility using your own, but then you are responsible for it by yourself when you are streamlined teams, for example. But it's like uh, not having the like having this developer experience in mind that streamlined people, uh, streamlined teams can um, can consume the platform as a service um, uh, very easily and um, get support from from enabling teams or from the platform teams themselves how to use it and i guess when you have the uh, this um, center of excellence it, it's more like okay like having it more on a uh, abstract level and uh, but for example with enabling teams on the other side in the organization in these uh, smart as uh, the small organizations uh, within a larger organization and I think team on the other hand, they help you in specific use case, like, okay, we would like now, we built a new bounded context as a microservice. We need a, how to build, how to do, uh, what is the best way to do uh, uh, testing or um, how to, to, to build a CI, CD pipeline. They can make suggestions like how to, uh, to um, build a CI, CD pipeline or something like that. And, um, and the center of excellence, they are more like, um, okay, today we'll learn about um, cloud native or something like that. So it's not, it's, it's, so what, that's what I have um, experienced so far that it's more like general knowledge and, and in teams also very like going into the teams and having team tailored um, 
facilitating for that team and that's their specific scenario without impeding the flow of change. Because if, for example, if they streamline teams need them all the time, whenever they deliver a new change, like, oh, enabling team, we need you. Um, I guess this is a indicator that it's not really uh, uh, an enabling team anymore. It's part of the team in order to make it to deliver a change. So it's, it's really like, um, yeah, where do you, I guess everything is like um, center of excellence are great, um, but they have more like a different goal and a different perspective than, for example, enabling teams and enabling teams could be also very helpful in your little organization as well. They could be part-time, they don't have to be full-time. And um, uh, for example, the smaller your team, teams are, your organization is, you don't have enabling teams maybe at the, at the very beginning more a task force, probably a part-time task force that help others, other teams for specific problems or specific uh, challenges and, um, and they could, could then reside later in a full-time enabling team. Yeah, so it's really, yeah, it, it's it's what I have encountered when small, uh, when startup culture or ecosystem is established in a larger organization is the culture. I guess it's, it's a really str- uh, yeah, challenge to to, to reapply to the larger organization because it has a diff, totally different culture usually. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, the accountability part, that's real, you know, because if you're now responsible very openly for this thing, you really can't, you know, assume that someone else is going to take care of this or, you know, or point your finger at some other organization because no, this is really your responsibility. And I think when you've worked in very large uh, companies, that is not really the case a lot of times. Um, I mean, yes, someone will always kind of get the blame for for something not succeeding, but um, at various levels, the the accountability isn't really you know, um, outstanding, uh, outstandingly apparent. So yeah, really important to get those, uh, things right. Then the, the tools that we use in the approaches to the development. Um, I just wanted to ask you now a little bit of question or a few questions I should say about, um, a book that I've heard you're writing. (laughs) well i'm so happy that you said yes when i invited you to to write a book but i just want you to tell listeners how easy is it to write a book oh gosh (laughs) first of all thank you for for uh inviting me being part of your signature series at edison wesley i'm feeling very very honored and with every sentence no with every word that i write my my, uh, I more and more adore authors like you, who has who have uh, successfully published a book already. Like I already adored them before and re- highly respected them, but now like with every word, it's so. It, I am. It's it's totally different if you have this idea in your mind and writing them down into sentences that everyone can understand it or at least hopefully grasp the idea behind it 
it's such a challenge for me. Um, and I, so, for example, when you mentioned, yes, uh, sometimes it takes um, a few months to write a book, like, oh, gosh, <laughs> for me, it takes a few months to write a page. <laughs> no, no, it's not that bad, but it's, it's really like, um, oh, it's a really challenging process. But um, And specifically, um, if I am sometimes stuck in some ideas and um, and I need I need time to to um, to iterate the ideas and like oh no why why did I so it's really like evolving over over time so it's it's kind of like giving birth to a baby for me <laughs> it evolves all the time and it's growing it's growing but very very slowly from my perspective so it's really challenging for me. <laughs> uh, I have to say you've come up with a very challenging and ambitious goal of this kind of book that you're writing, because you're not just teaching people about Wardley maps and about DDD and about team topologies, like giving definitions, but you have a real world example of a company that goes through various stages of a lifetime. You, you've taken on a lot and I can understand why it's such a challenge to write that book. Yeah. So I have to, yeah, I have to, to, to describe the three concepts first, right? And it's each of them have already, it's their own book. So, and, uh, so, and I try to connect the dots between them, but before I can connect the dots, I have to introduce it somehow to the reader because I don't, um, it's just like, it should be a starting point for the reader, um, to, to see what benefits, um, these three perspectives will give you to build adaptive systems. Um, and then from that point, they can dive into uh, your book and uh, into and the team topologies and, and Wardley mapping book from Simon Wardley. So it's it's like gives you kind of like um, entry point to these three perspectives, but it requires describing them first and then making it tangible through an example. And then uh, evolving, um, yeah, to, um, creating an example. It's a fictitious example at the end, um, uh, how to apply them, um, like the, the approaches that I described for my clients, um, weaving in the three perspectives um, over the time and to build an adaptive system for fast flow of change. So yeah, it's um, challenging. And so sometimes I'm, th okay, I try to research sometimes and the thing is it's so it's not there yet <laughs> because it has not been described before so I have to for me it's kind of like um not natural but it's it's something for me makes makes total sense to combine them so but it's still sometimes in my head and my mind and um and sometimes I apply it to to clients but to, to write it on the book it's a totally different different situation um, uh, to because you have to write a story uh, and this is really challenging for me because I can't really can't um, yeah yeah go back to already described scenarios because sometimes combining the dots uh, from my perspective and uh, what I've read so far or researched so far it's quite new as actually as we say in our uh, strategic monoliths and microservices, having pure invention, pure invention, where something really doesn't exist before is quite difficult to, to come up with. Even if we would say that Wardley Maps is a pure invention, okay, 
But what you're doing is innovating, right? You're innovating with very important pre-existing tools, but you are combining them in a unique way. This is difficult, right? Innovation is sometimes more difficult than the pure invention in the sense that how do we take what already exists and make it more appealing to mm-hmm. someone, right? So like Apple did not invent the music in your, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket or something like that. I mean, okay, maybe a thousand, but in other words, I was using Walkman, Sony Walkman and such devices from the early 1980s, you know, walking around with headphones and like you said, you know, our hearing is, <laughs> isn't that great anymore from those kinds of devices. But, um, but anyway, you know, but why did, why did Walkman sort of just disappear off the planet? Well, because cassettes and, you know, radio stations didn't tune in very well with them and so forth. And, and so, you know, Apple comes up with this idea that is not actually really new, but there was innovation within it. So how do you actually put 1000 songs in your, in your pocket, so to speak? And, and, um, and how do you make it easy, simple to get those and and cost effective, you know, to, to get all that music on there. And I think this is really the kind of thing that you're doing with uh, this book. So it's, it's brand new and it should be difficult because it's, it is a complex, complex task that you've undertaken. It's challenging, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's also, um, I learn a lot with this one as well. So it's it's not that I, um, I guess I would not have touched it so deeply or um, um, if I would not have started this book and um, to... And trying to also like improve then also the work with my clients because it gives um, with research it gives another um, perspective and how to make it tangible and uh, so I learn a lot uh, while writing this book too and um, and hopefully others will learn something out of it too. That's my hope. <laughs> yeah, I think authors and trainers usually learn more then even if they can convey so much information, it's still impossible to, to take that tacit knowledge that we gain ourselves and turn it over to everyone because it's all connected with, you know, who our experiences in life and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really happy that you've been successful so far and you will be highly, you will feel highly uh, satisfied and rewarded when the book is done. And then when you see people benefiting from it, this is really the ultimate kind of author uh, experience that you can have when people say, you changed the way that I work. Some people have even told me, you've changed my life. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I sort of don't like that, but I understand where they're coming from. And that's what you're going to do. You will have that level of impact on on people's lives because it makes their ability to earn and and enjoy their work much better. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's really yeah. Um, I would say because 
when I, uh, so sometimes when people are approaching me um, like from my workshops or from, um, from my talks um, so far, like, um, and giving really, really kind and nice feedback, I'm always like, yeah, surprised in a good way, surprised in a good way. Um, but, but I guess if you're so much into this deep detail, you're so much into that one that it's for you, uh, um, dealing with it um, on a daily basis for you is kind of like commodity, right? Even though it's, um, but it, it's, it's for you, it's really, um, it, it's not something that is really prevalent the entire day. And, um, but I guess for people that are joining this or they're learning this right now, um, um, maybe it's a totally different perspective. And sometimes I, uh, I'm, because you, you you see so many things for granted or take so many things for granted where you are at right now, but and sometimes miss the point where you already were on a learning path as well, right? And and to to come back to yes, I started with this journey too. So of course, uh, um, I was learning from you from your book, for example, when I when I was reading your book, I, oh, I finally grasped the idea of domain driven design. So you changed my life too, by the way, Vaughn. <laughs> And um, yeah, it, it's really, uh, yeah, yeah, for me sometimes really, I don't know, I can't express it in a feeling, I can't, I don't have a word for it. It's interesting to see, um, or to see the reactions. And of course, there will be some people that say, no, that's, it's not helpful at all, but that's fine. Always, yeah. always, we cannot avoid it. I mean, I'll just give you an example that just, you know, it's like, someone says about my red book, it's too wordy, right? Too many words. But then you write uh, distilled, <laughs> right? And interestingly, the very same person who said too many words wrote a review on distilled, not enough words. You just <laughs> simply can't please them, right? Yeah. Well, would you would you ever think of reading this in distilled and then going to the red book to find out more if you need more? Right. So anyway, it, you, it's impossible to avoid those and no one will ever understand the effort that you've gone through to even learn in the first place and be uh, brave enough, you know, to, to take the challenge and finish. So many people want to write a book. They tell me, oh, I want to write a book. First of all, most of them can't come up with a decent outline. Mm -hmm. Some won't even write the first chapter after it's it's approved. So you've gone, you're you're just you know, gone way beyond what most people are capable of. Yeah, it's a challenge. So it's like really uh, understand people that are struggling <laughs> because I totally can feel it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's um, yeah, it requires a lot of discipline. That's true, and uh, but with great support from all of you. Um, and also from from the audience on, uh, yeah, on social media right now, it's really nice to hear these stories that they're asking for when it's going to be published, and so it's really nice to hear. So this really motivates me a lot. Well, it's my been my pleasure to speak with you today, and I'm sure this will be one of the favorites of our podcast series. So thank you so much for agreeing to this and taking time. I know you're very busy and you've got a book to write beyond, besides everything else. So thank you for taking time. And I promise that if, if you 
will have time later. I, I want to make sure that we interview you after the book is completed and, and have a uh, retrospective on that. That would be great. So, so much. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. And it was a great pleasure for me to be on your podcast. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe and stay tuned for more. This podcast is sponsored and produced by Kalele, makers of Domo Roboto and the Zoom platform. To learn more, visit kalele.io. That's K-A-L-E-L-E dot I-O. Thanks for listening.